So for the last few weeks, we have been looking uh, at Jesus as he talks to uh, the, this group of Pharisees who had invited him to their house. Um, it was a standard, just like what we do here after, after church kind of thing. They went over, he went over to this Pharisee's house, and when he got there, there was this big guy who had uh, droopsy, which is a, a chronic edema, so he would have been sore and sick, and it would have been obvious that he was sick. The Pharisees are trying to set him up. And so Jesus turns that back on them and, and says, so have some compassion. Which one of you, if your son fell in a ditch, you wouldn't get him out? Uh, which one of you, if you had an ox that fell into a well, you wouldn't get him out, whether it was the Sabbath or not? How much more this guy who's sitting here hurting? And then he gives them a group of parables. One's about uh, how they sit and he gives them a parable about uh, inviting the sick and blind and lame. And he talks about counting the cost. And the whole thing is, Jesus is trying to get these Pharisees to understand that there is no way that they can earn their way to heaven. That they are the sick, the lame, the blind. And we saw last week how we need to place ourselves in the place of the Pharisees and ask ourselves, am I dependent on what I do, that I'm a good church folk, that I don't drink, that I don't smoke, that I don't do all the things that, that we say the world doesn't want us to do, or do I put my faith firmly and squarely on the righteousness of Christ? In fact, Jesus ended this discussion by saying, except a man take up his cross and follow me, he's not worthy of me. Last week we looked at the fact that the cross, when Jesus said this, had no religious significance whatsoever. He's saying, unless you die to your dreams, what you want, unless you die to yourself, you're not really a Christian. And so Luke continues the story and says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man received sinners and eats with them. Now, a little background. One, and we've talked about this before with the Pharisees. The Pharisees, I mean the tax collectors, when we hear tax collector, in our mind we just think of the guy that works down at the local tax office. Um, I remember very well, Emily got her very first job at uh, Hungry Hut, and she came home, and she says, looking at her paycheck stub, and she says, who is Ficka and why does he get all my money? Right? So it's annoying. I wish they didn't even print it out. This is what you earned. This is what the man's going to get and this is what we're actually giving you. Right? So we kind of place a tax collector in that vein. But a tax collector in Jesus' time wasn't just some dude that worked in an office and filled out forms. A tax collector was somebody that sat on a street corner... And when you passed by, I said, hey, buddy, you owe a toll on this road. He was working with the Romans to make money for himself. As I've thought about an example that maybe we could relate to, it's like a, a person that sells drugs to kids. It's somebody who abandons all sense of good and decency to make a buck. That's what the tax collector was. Now, the word sinner, that just is what the Pharisees called anybody who wasn't super religious. In fact, they had a term, the Pharisees did, and they called them people of the land. 
They're just your standard sinners. Just the guy who never goes to church, maybe walks around with a Bud Light t-shirt on, not the guy who acts like he's all Mr. Christian. He's just the sinner. If you go through Walmart, you can point them out, especially on a Sunday afternoon. All the good church folk are wearing nice clothes, and then you got the guys that clearly just woke up. He, he just rolled up out of bed. He's wearing some pajama pants. He's got his Miller Lite t-shirt on or some t-shirt with something vulgar printed on it. And he's walking around, and then you've got everybody else who's walking around, and they just came from church. They got the bulletin in their pocket. They're awesome. That's the break you got here. And Jesus, the people who are the sinners, the people who are the super sinners like the tax collectors, are drawn to Jesus. Well, this makes the Pharisees mad. They don't like it. If Jesus was all that he said he was, if he's really good church folk, he wouldn't be hanging around with these people. He would be hanging around with clean people. He wouldn't be hanging around with all these stinky folk. In fact, they had a a saying among the Pharisees that says, There will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is destroyed before God. That's what the Pharisees would say. Joy in heaven over one sinner that God destroys. And so Jesus, in the next few stories, is going to turn that idea on its head. And so he tells three tales. Tonight, or today, we're going to get through two of them. So the first story, he says, to the Pharisees, uh, would have probably put them on edge. He said, what man of you having a hundred sheep? Now that in and of itself would have probably made the Pharisees upset because they weren't known to be working folk. But it's a story that they would have all related to because they grow up in a culture where shepherds are a known entity. Shepherds? Uh, we've glamorized that. Uh, we, we think about, when we think about shepherds, we think it's a cool job. And we've talked about before how a shepherd's task is really boring. You're watching animals eat. If you think it's an exciting job, just go by where there's a pasture full of cows and stand out there for 12 hours and watch them eat. It's not fun. And so what would often happen is, is in a particular village... Everybody would pool their sheep together. I have five sheep, you have five sheep, you have five sheep. We pull them together, and the guys who are either so old that they can't work in the garden or so young that they don't know what they're doing, they would go take those sheep and move them around so that they could graze. Sheep have a tendency to eat the grass all the way down to the ground so you can't leave them in a particular place for long, or they'll eat all the grass and be standing there in the dirt going, feed me. And so you got to shepherd them around and get them to move from field to field to field. And so Jesus says, okay, let's pretend that you having a hundred sheep. Now that's a lot of sheep, which gives us an idea that this is probably, like we said, kind of a, a pool of different sheep. If he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost. So the image that Jesus immediately puts up is the the shepherd is out there, he's watching over the sheep, and he's counting, right? Those of you that have more than three kids know exactly what I'm talking about. The reason I say more than three is because when we, Ann and I had two kids, it was we could play man-to-man defense, right? I've got one kid, he's got the other one, we're good to go. Once you go to three kids, you move from man-to-man to a zone, which means that you have to count all the time. So I literally, to this day, there'll be times when I'm in the mall going, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, good. One, two, three, four, five. And then I go, one, two, three, four. Where's, 
Which one? Which one? Okay, where's Lizzie? Where's Lizzie? Okay, there she is. Okay, we're at five again. We're good. And so this shepherd's doing that. He's walking around in the field. One, two, three, four, five. 98, 99. Wait, y'all quit moving around. Every Friday night, I, I go in. I, uh, I'm the chaplain for a Glencoe's football team, and uh, I go in to pray with them, and I always get there when they're doing this. All right, everybody on special teams, let me see. Special teams, raise your hand. Richard will be yelling at him. Let's go. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, who's not raising your hand? Everybody get your hand up. If you're on special teams, let's go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. Who are we missing? Then somebody will walk out of the bathroom and you're like, ah, there's 11. Or you'll hear, quit moving around. So you can imagine with sheep. 98, 99. Ah, Sheep, and then all of a sudden the realization hits this guy that it's not that the sheep are moving around, that he actually has lost one. He counts again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, and then this panic sets in. Oh, my gosh, I'm missing one of the sheep. I'm missing one of the sheep. One, two, three, four, five, six. Hey, do you all see the one with the brown spot on the back of his head? Where's that sheep? I hadn't seen him in a while. Oh, we've lost one. And so now he's in a panic. Again, bringing it back to parents, I know this has happened. With my kids, I had one in particular that would hide. She would get in the rack of clothes and hide. And I, the, usually how I found her was, <laughs> and I'm like, come on, I'm about to introduce you the concept of leather. Let's go. Um, but there's that panic that comes over you. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, and he's one, two, three, 99. Oh, my gosh. Now, sheep, um, a lot can happen to sheep. You've got, if, especially if they're away from the herd. You've got critters that want to eat the sheep. You've got dogs. You've got lions. You've got bears. You've got tigers. You've got bears. Oh, my. Um, So you've got all of the critters that want to eat the sheep. You've got places that the sheep can fall into. And there's there's a thing that sheep can do that's called being cast. Uh, I've never heard of this before, not having ever been a sheep. And so from um, a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalms 23, the writer writes, The way it happens is this. A heavy, fat, or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. It will roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax, and suddenly the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet are no longer touching the ground. It will immediately have a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Frequently, this only makes things worse. It rolls over even further. And now it is quite impossible for the sheep to regain its feet. As it lies there struggling, gases begin to build in its rumen, its little tummy. And as these expand, they begin to retard and cut off blood circulation to the extremities of the body, especially the legs. If the weather is very hot and sunny, a cast sheep will die within a few hours. If it's cold and cloudy or rainy, it may survive in this position for a few days. And so one of the things that can happen is this sheep, a big fat sheep, a sheep all covered in wool, gets over in its back and it's just pawing in the air. It's like a turtle on its back. It can't go anywhere. And so you can imagine that this shepherd, once he gets to 99 for the third, fourth time, is in a dead state panic. Oh my gosh, where's the sheep? And so he goes out and he starts looking for the sheep. He leaves the, the 99 with the other shepherds or put, gets it in a fence so that they're protected. And he goes out and he goes through valleys and he's scared to death. And the longer it takes, the more afraid he is. The longer it takes, maybe this sheep is cast and it's going to die. Maybe it's been eaten by a bear. Maybe it's, it's lost somewhere. The, and he, the panic builds up. Oh my gosh, I got to find the sheep. And he's going through the valleys and it's looking like it's going to get dark. And then he sees a little splotch of white and Maybe, maybe, maybe. And he goes over and, whoa, I found the sheep. 
And he picks the sheep up and he throws it on his shoulders. And he's so excited that when he gets back, he goes, Woo, I found the sheep. There were 99 lost, but I found this one. And he's excited. And everybody in the village will be like, Woo, we found it. And they'll throw a party. Now, Jesus isn't saying any great theological truth to the Pharisees. They know that what he described happens. Just like as I describe losing a kid, every parent in here has been in that situation. So in their culture, every one of them, as Jesus described it, said, yes, it's morally and ethically responsible that the shepherd would leave the 99, go look for the one. And then Jesus, to drive it home, tells another story. What about a woman who has 10 coins, 10 silver coins? It's worth a lot of money. That's probably the coins or her dowry that she would wear in a necklace. Very important for her honor. Very important for her. It was the great thing of great possession that she had that her father would have given her when she got married. It had lots of sentimental value. It's really important. So she's cleaning the house. She's making supper. And then she reaches up to, to kind of stroke her necklace where those coins are. And oh my gosh, the necklace is falling off. Ah! And so she starts scrambling. She finds it. And there's one coin missing. I have 10 coins. There's only nine coins. Is she going to just go, well, that's nine out of 10 is not bad. That's pretty good percentage. No. She's going to start cleaning and everything. Hey, ladies, have you ever been making dough or something and lost a ring? I, I remember, who, and I was trying to think this morning who it was, whether it was my mom or was Ann. I remember one time we had a ring lost in dressing on a Thanksgiving morning. I don't remember who it was. The story's just in the back of my mind. Um, but here she's lost this, this ring. And so she, she starts dumping stuff out. She starts looking, where, okay, where did I clean that chicken? That was over here. And she goes, she goes through the trash. Oh, my gosh, where's this, my, my coin? And then so these, she would have lived in a, in a place that didn't have windows. It would have been a small one-room one area, and the kitchen's kind of in the back. And so she starts looking everywhere. She lights a candle even though it's daylight because there's no windows in there. And she's looking in every nook and cranny. Where's my coin? Oh, my gosh, i got to find my coin. Oh, this is so embarrassing. I cannot believe that I lost this coin. And then the floor would have been that hard-packed dirt. And so she would have gone and gotten a broom and started moving the dirt around. Maybe the coin fell on the floor and somebody stepped on it, and I can't see it. Oh, my gosh and then she finds the coin oh thank you lord here it is and she finds the coin even though she had the other nine it's great excitement that that coin was found and she would be so excited she'd call her friends Woo! you know i told you on the phone the other day that i lost my coin i found my coin and again just like with the sheep jesus isn't telling this story to people that would have been like what kind of coin are we talking about? No, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. And they would have known that it's morally and absolutely correct that she would not have said, well, I got nine, nine out of ten ain't bad. That nobody in their right mind would do that. No shepherd would go, 99% is pretty good. I'm just going to let that one go. That the scenario that he painted is how any human being would act. And these Pharisees, listening to this story, would have known in their heart, that's exactly how, if I was in that situation, I would act. How much more, Jesus is making the point, does your father look down 
at one who has run away from God. God's not just going to go, I got these. He made his own bed, he can lie in it. No. No, a thousand times no. And the point in the context of what Luke is telling us here is for us to understand that the Father's love for all of his sheep runs deep. And so in both of those stories, he takes the saying of the Pharisees, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who's destroyed before God, turns it on his head and says, there will be joy in heaven for one sinner who repents. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who will who need no repentance. Now, in the light of what we saw in chapter 14, there ain't nobody that doesn't need to repent. But Jesus wants them to see, you think you've got it together. You think you're so much better than everybody else. And yet the Father looks at each one of his sheep, each one of these people, so much more than we look at possessions. So, As we look at this text, we always ask of Scripture, how does my life change in the light of this text? And I think we need to look at it three different ways. The first and foremost thing we always need to see is the Christological. What does this say about Jesus? And this says about Jesus that you can't run, you can't go to a point where he's not going to come find you. The reason I asked Brian to play that song in, the, in the, the, um, the break as the choir comes down is because that song um, speaks to this. As he says, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, there's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the never-ending, overwhelming, reckless love of God. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, because I'm sure you've heard this song on the radio. There's a huge theological debate about this song. And there were lots of preachers that came out that said, okay, this is heresy because it's implying that God is making reckless decisions. And I think they're missing the point of something here. The recklessness is not on the place of God in himself. The recklessness is, if we look at ourselves as the sheep, why in the world would he come after me? Because we don't deserve it. We're the sheep that's wandered off. We thought we have it better than what the shepherd's prepared for, so we go running off to find it not realizing that we're in over our head, not realizing that where we're going is going to hurt us, not realizing that there are precipices out there, not believing that we're not strong enough to fight off the lion on our own. And so the recklessness on God's part is, why would you come after me? I don't deserve it. And so we look at this text from the, the, the idea of Christ. He's the one who goes. We can look at this from the viewpoint of the sheep, And then we can look at this from the viewpoint of the Pharisees. And I don't know where your heart is. 
Because there are times in my life when I'm the Pharisee. I look at people, God forgive me, and I say, whew, that guy's got problems. And you do too. And so if that's where you are, recognize that God is seeking and saving that person. What he desperately needs is not a bath. What he desperately needs is not to get clean. What he desperately needs is a savior. His name is Jesus. So get over yourself. And then if there are times in my life when I'm the sheep. I've shared with you guys how as I ran from God, he wouldn't let me go. I would get mad at God because he wouldn't leave me to be happy in my sin. I want to go out and party with the boys. Everybody else can do it. Why can't I? And yet everywhere I turned, God would remind me, you're mine. And I was miserable. And so maybe in this room, you're the sheep. Remember and recognize the hound of heaven is on your trail. God loves you so much, he's not going to let you go. And so whether you're the Pharisee or whether you're the sheep this morning, you know I don't. And so this altar is open for both. If you are the Pharisee, confess that is sin and turn. If you're the sheep, turn to God. Come home. Let the shepherd put you up on his arms and bring you back. You're never going to find satisfaction in doing what you want to do. You're only going to get hurt. Father God. Lord, I pray that your spirit would hover on this place. God, we thank you for this beautiful picture of a shepherd, of a lady searching through the night for her coin. God, I thank you that you never give up on us, that you never quit, that you don't get tired. Lord, I thank you that you rejoice at the one who repents. I thank you that your word says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Lord, I thank you that you sing over us, that you love us. Lord, these things we ask and pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.